You're listening to episode 134 of 88 Cups of Tea with Yin Chang. Am I doing this right? <laughs> Hi, I'm your host, Yin Chang, and thanks for joining me on 88 Cups of Tea. This podcast is created to leave you feeling motivated from interviews with storytellers, where we learn how they create opportunities for a successful career without losing sight of the values that make us human. Woo, that was a really long run on sentence. Hey, what's up, storytellers? Guess what? Today's episode is brought to you by Fab Fit Fun. If you don't already know about it, it's a seasonal subscription box with full-size beauty, fitness, and lifestyle products. Be sure to hang around at the end of the show so I can tell you more about my own experience with their box and listen closely for the special discount code just for our storytellers. A special thank you to our listener, Chadrian, who recently left a review for us on iTunes and said, Every episode is a gift. I came across 88 Cups of Tea last week seeking advice and community while querying my YA contemporary novel. The first episode I listened to is Yin Cheng's interview with literary agent Jenny Bent. As I listened, I felt like I was in a room with two trusted friends gleaning exceptional insights and information about searching for the right agent, overcoming life and career hurdles, how to juggle work and parenthood, and even where to eat great Malaysian food in the Lower East Side. The next three episodes were no different as Yin Cheng's interview style is friendly, professional, and just fun to listen to. I'm inspired and so thankful to Yin Cheng, her guests, and her team for creating this podcast and community. I'm recommending 88 Cups of Tea like crazy, and even though I live in Hawaii, I know where I'm going to get my Chinese-Malaysian food fix when I venture to New York City. I can't wait to listen to the next episode tonight. Oh my gosh, you are so sweet. Thank you so much for taking the time to write that incredibly thoughtful review. You are awesome, and I'm so happy to have you in our community. Now, on to our guests, we have Min Lei on the show with us today. Min is a national early childhood policy expert, author of Let Me Finish, and has written for the New York Times, The Horn Book, and The Huffington Post. He's a first-generation Vietnamese-American who went to Dartmouth College and has a master's in education from Harvard University. Min's newest picture book, Drawn Together, just released this week, and it's illustrated by Dan Santat. Drawn Together is a heartwarming story of a grandfather and his grandson as they learn to overcome their language barrier through a shared love of art and storytelling. A very happy book birthday to Min for Drawn Together. I am so excited for you all to finally have a chance to grab a copy for yourselves. I'm telling you, this book is so heartwarming and so moving and it made me cry. So I highly recommend this book. Get it for your kids or have it as a coffee table book and you can thank me later. We kick off today's episode with a very heartwarming and intimate story of how Min first fell in love with the idea of storytelling. We go into detail about his newest picture book that I was just talking about called Drawn Together, and we get into the inspiration for his story idea, why this story is so important to him, and the importance of finding common connections with your loved ones to sustain strong relationships, and why putting in the effort to break down barriers in relationships with the people you're close to is more than worth it. Further into our conversation, we talked about writing with brevity, how Min captures so many emotions in very few words. He walks us through the production process of a picture book and dives deep into deconstructing picture books. Min also shares the fun activities he practices to remind himself how much he enjoys writing. And he shares advice on juggling your professional and personal responsibilities while pursuing your writing. We wrap up the conversation by diving into listener questions that were posted in our private Facebook group. Here's a few examples. As a first-generation American, do you often worry about passing down your Vietnamese heritage to your children? 
How would you recommend connecting different generations within a family? What was it like to step back and trust Dan Santat to shape so much of this intimate personal work? What did the illustration notes look like? Was it tempting to over-direct in the notes? And a listener asked to hear a sample of how this all played out in the actual picture book manuscript text. Now let's jump right into the conversation. I would love to hear about your earliest memory of storytelling. I've been actually thinking about this recently, and if I had to trace it back, it probably starts with a memory of me and my sisters in bed with my parents and having them telling us bedtime stories and, and making up stories. And the, the ones that are most powerful for me are the ones that they used to make up on the fly. And the more I thought about it, the more I was thinking about how back then the books that we had available at the library or and the bookstores on the shelves probably didn't reflect the life that we had and the kind of stories that they wanted to tell. So in a lot of ways, they it's very well, they were kind of like forced into being the storyteller so they could give us the stories that we wanted and the stories that they wanted to, to give us. Um, so for me, it all starts with that very like intimate feeling of being like snuggled up with my family. I'm, I'm curious, do you remember one of your favorite stories that your sisters made up and shared during these intimate times? Do you remember one that you hold on to very dearly till now? There's one, I can't remember the details of it, but um, it was either my, my mother, or my father, or both made up a story about three little raindrops and each oh. one was, <laughs> was one of us. Oh my um, gosh. And, and I don't remember what kind of adventures they went on, but I remember that very vivid image of like the three of us as like these delicate little raindrops going on adventures together. Um, so I, I'd have to call them up and see if they can jog my memory or if they can remember what the story was. Oh that, man, that's a very that would be such an amazing, <laughs> hello, I see a third picture book coming up. Um, that is super cute. I feel like for your picture book that's coming out, it's coming out tomorrow. By the time everyone listens, Min's book, Drawn Together, will already have released on Tuesday this week. So be sure to look out for it. So your story has a lot to do with connection with family and how it brings family together. Before we get into that even more, throughout these stories, when your family would make up these stories together when you were growing up, did they ever weave in tales where you you could learn from, who knows, like maybe stories of struggles, stories of, you know, what they had to go through when they were younger? Were there any tidbits in there for you to kind of pick up as a kid subconsciously? I do remember them weaving in kind of like traditional Vietnamese folk tales Ooh. from and like kind of weaving in our stories into into them there's like a vietnamese cinderella story called thunkum which i remember then my mom telling us so it's, it definitely was creating stories for us and like featuring us but then also stories that they grew up with um and like the cultural details and and significance that they they want to to pass on oh my gosh okay do you mind me totally jumping in and sidetracking a little bit because oh, I yeah, yeah, please do. I love stories that have to do with our versions, like, you know, culturally. Well, a lot of times I found out the stories that I grew up hearing in America were actually taken from other stories from other cultures that were already there mm-hmm. like hundreds of years before. I mean, from what you remember, could you share about the Vietnamese version, basically, of Cinderella? Was that a story that was already there before the American tales? Or is that, from your recollection, is something that was taken and spun with Vietnamese culture? My my understanding, 
is that this kind of Cinderella story kind of organically arose in a lot of different places and there are a lot of similarities. If, there, if you like that kind of thing, yes. you, need to look up a, you need to look up a picture book called Glass Slipper Golden Sandals, Ooh. which is this beautiful picture book. And what it does is it tells the Cinderella story, but then like with a page turn, it shifts to the same story, but in like from Indian culture. <gasps> and, and then with the next page, it turns to like the story from like, and the African version of that. Oh my God. Ah, uh, yes. Oh, that sounds so good. Yeah. So it, it's beautiful. And I don't know the, the origins of the, the Vietnamese one or which one came first, but I think there are these universal themes that kind of pop up and then people now with a, a more global mindset and perspective can kind of like connect those dots and see where those have, have popped up. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for recommending that. Uh, We're going to have that in your show notes page. I know I'm grabbing myself a copy. You don't understand. I was obsessed with stories like that growing up, like no joke, that along with Greek mythologies and all of that. And I would have my mom order as many of the books as possible so I could learn from it and read from it. I just loved the illustrations as well. Oh man, I was a a total Greek mythology geek. Oh my God, you were. (laughs) Oh my God, that's awesome. I, I still have them when I went home to clean out some of the stuff and like basically Basically to declutter because my home, uh, my parents' home is just so, oh my God, there's just talk about hoarding. So I was going through stuff and I found all of my books from like back oh, when I was, amazing. yes, it was just, you know, when you're touching it, you're flipping the pages open. I was hit with so much emotion. I got really emotional. Like I was getting teary eyed, just bringing back all these memories and the excitement and the wonder when I was younger, when I was like four years old, five years old, just turning the pages and, and looking at the illustrations and trying to read what I could, you know? Oh man, I love that you also share the same kind of love for that. (laughs) Uh, That was a really cool tidbit. So thank you for diving in and nerding out with me about that. I would love to also segue into Drawn Together before we start unpacking your coolness and everything else you do in life. <laughs> Since we are talking about stories right now and family stories and like well, families sharing stories, uh, could you give us first a snapshot from your own words of Drawn Together and what listeners can expect or look out for? Yeah, yeah, sure. So, so in brief, Drawn Together is about a, a grandson who visits his grandfather and they try to connect, but because of a language barrier, they're, they're unable to find common ground. It's only when the boy pulls out some pens and paper and starts to draw that they discover a mutual love of art. And then from there, they find that common ground by building a world together in their art. And so the, the grandfather um, reveals that he also loves to, to paint and draw, and then they build this new world together. And they, that's how they are able to bridge the language divide. So can I admit something right now? When Cassie sent over your information to me, I was just reading the brief summary and I already got teary-eyed. Do you know that? (laughs) And I was like, this book is going to kill me because it's so personal. And as soon as she sent that summary over and about you, I was like, done. I need to talk to Min. I need to like just discuss with him how he's tearing my heart open. This is so moving and so powerful. I have to say that your book really moved me because my grandma, paternal grandma, she went through a lot of hardships. And when my family was able to bring her from Taiwan to America, once they settled in New York, they were able to bring grandma over to settle down with us to have basically, you know, a better life as well. You remember how I mentioned earlier that my parents were always really busy working uh, long Mm -hmm. hours and they started their own company and it was just really grueling times that they would have to be at work and travel as well for work. So 
I, at the time, my parents were just starting off. They didn't have the money to afford full-on babysitters yet. Well, they still were able to bring on housekeepers and babysitters, um, but they weren't like live-in or anything. So my grandma became that person, the live-in caretaker. And even though there was the housekeeper there as well, grandma obviously would step in as more of the maternal role. And she basically taught me my first language, which was Taiwanese. Mm-hmm. And even though I was born in New York, my first language was not English. I was sent to ESL because I, I was raised a little bit in Queens in New York. And that was a time when I spoke only Chinese, Taiwanese and Mandarin. So I was able to communicate with grandma very, very well. Right. And then when I got into school, like kindergarten, I was sent to ESL. But once my English was like totally good to go, I lost my ability to speak Chinese, uh, Mandarin and Taiwanese because also I felt ashamed that I was getting picked on. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of pushed it away. And then, so by the time middle school, high school rolled around, I couldn't really communicate with my grandma anymore. It was actually really sad. And it got to the point where there were so many frustrations, confusion, and a lot of silence. So I never was able to have heart to heart conversations with her. Right. And when I read your story, I was crying because I, I wish that, you know, even though my mom's dad, my grandpa is an artist and I'm able to communicate with him in English because he speaks English and we have really like deep conversations and heartfelt conversations with my grandma. She did not know even one word of English, maybe except for hello. Right. Mm-hmm. I wished after reading your book that, you know, how your characters were able to find bonding through art. For me, I was thinking about it, just reflecting back on it now as an adult. I was like, you know what? I think what I could have found in common was cooking from learning from Mm -hmm. my grandma, even if it wasn't, you know, even if we couldn't have full on conversations at the time, at least there was that medium to bring us together, even though it would have probably been more in silence or just more of her instructions to me in Taiwanese, at least there was that quality time together. And your story just moved me so much. And I just had to share that uh, with (laughs) you and the, and the listeners right now. Thank you so oh, much. Man, yeah, no, no. You're going to make me cry on this My God, I'm like, geez, I wish I could bring her back, you know, like just to yeah. have those uh, moments. And, and it just makes you realize like time is really short and you just really never know. Like even language should not be an excuse to not make time for family. You know what I mean? Um, especially yeah. those who've been there for us. Oh my right. God, I'm getting all teary-eyed right now. Jeez, <laughs> thanks a lot, man. Gosh, yeah, now yeah. I'm not even like blow my nose, excuse me. But um, oh my I gosh, that's I'm the like, problem with <laughs> having the, the super powerful microphone on. You're going to pick, pick up all the emotions. And, oh my um, gosh. But no, it, sound, it sounds like you and I have a very similar experience because yeah. um, my first language was actually Vietnamese. And there's like video somewhere of me at like four years old speaking Vietnamese much better than I can now. Oh my um, God, at least then, you have proof. Yeah. And then it's like, but same thing. Once I went to school, Mm -hmm. um, like my parents would still speak to us in Vietnamese or ask us questions in Vietnamese and we'd start answering in English and it just slowly eroded from there. And it was kind of like, by the time I was old enough to realize what I had lost, there was so much kind of like angst and shame around not being able to speak that I, it's been this like monkey on my back for forever. Um, and so I've been talking to people about with this book, it's like, there's so many of my relationships with the people that I love, especially my grandparents, have been defined by the things that divide us, right? So yes. with, my, with my grandparents, so much of it was defined by what we couldn't say to each other. And, um, and like you said, if this book could get people to think about, like, okay, 
it's it's not easy to connect with people, even the people that mean the most to you. Mm-hmm. Um, but so it does take work, but it but it is worth the effort. And it's like if you if if this story could kind of get even like one person to to make that additional effort with someone in their family, then that would be. I, my, my heart would be completely full because like, that, that is something that I also regret not because it's easy to retreat into that silence and like yeah. we kind of become accustomed to to it and I almost feel comfortable in in that in that distance um and then it's only when when those people aren't there anymore you realize oh I we we just let I let that I I kind of like surrendered to that distance um, so so uh, this this book was kind of my attempt to um, to honor honor the connection that I did feel despite that distance because I had the, and what I love about some of the illustrations that Dan did early on is that you sense that distance between the characters but at the same time there's a, there's an intimacy there right mm-hmm. so it's not that there's I never questioned the how much my my grandparents loved me I yes. never doubted that they knew that I loved them despite yes. the fact that it wasn't that ever a cold distance there was always still right. that warmth and love yes right and so it's a and then like kind of like you when you with your your grandfather my my wife when she talks and calls her grandparents and just like to chat oh like talk about your day like what's going on I was yeah. always like in, in awe I was like I just could never get that kind of nuance mm. and in-depth conversation um and that that was something that kind of became a defining part of who I who I was and how I, how I saw my relationships and everything. So, um, so yeah, so, so bottom line, you're, you're making me cry in this, oh my this God. book comes I'm like, for some place. I'm like, Min, you are like making me tear up right now. This is like getting too emotional for me. My <laughs> gosh, I'm like, again, tearing up over here. Um, my God, that's so beautiful that you were able to create this out of that. You know what I mean? You, And it's true, like rewinding back just like um, one conversation ago where you said specifically, if this inspires people, even just one reader to reconnect and or just to strengthen or, or and just add a little bit more effort just to talk to mm-hmm. those loved ones. And you're doing that, you know, you're doing that even by sharing your story right now, talking to me on this podcast right now. Like you make me, I mean, obviously I'm like tearing up because I'm so sad that I don't have that with my grandma anymore, but it definitely makes me appreciate who I do have left right now. Like my grandpa or even, you know, my best friend's grandma, um, who we hang out with her and take her out for shabu shabu. Cause she loves shabu shabu. <laughs> and so we just hang out with her and have chit chats. And, you know, my best friend's grandma is always saying, and she's like, oh, she's so badass. She's like nearly 90 and driving to Costco by herself. I'm like, grandma Verla, you need to stop that. You should not be driving by yourself. But she, she's always saying to us, I don't know why you kids want to hang out with me. I don't know why you kids want to be my friend. Like, I can't believe it. I just, I'm always in awe when you guys remember me and take me out. And obviously, number one, she's like, don't waste money on me. But number two, she's like, thank you so much for thinking of me. And, you know, all, and we're not doing 
it's not even extra effort. It's really fun. We just sit there and, right. and we ask, like, I am like digging at her at like her past history. I'm like, how did this happen? How did that happen? Or sometimes we'll just sit there in silence and she'll just share her stories. And it is so fun. It is like three hours packed of storytelling. Like who doesn't, love, who doesn't love that? You know, you just sit mm-hmm. there, you hear this rich history and what she was capable of doing at her time and how remarkable she is. And then back to my grandpa, same thing. But here's the thing. Having this conversation with you is now making me make sure I don't take my grandpa for granted because it's almost as if like knowing he's mine or like blood related. Mm-hmm. It's almost, I don't know what it is in the back of my head to my, like, oh, grandpa's always going to be there. And grandpa's also all the way in Malaysia right now. So it's all good. Like grandpa knows I love him, but no, like I need to be the one to step up and check in on him more often. It makes a difference when they hear your voice, your specific right. voice and, and how you're doing, even if it means what you have for breakfast, like oatmeal, you know, it just is, it's worth the effort and it's worth the time. So, oh gosh, man, you're going to make me cry right now. Enough. <laughs> enough of this oh my god i literally had like all like a little bit of a mess right now but i mean that no, was it's all, yeah, yeah you're it's you're you're not alone like i've only shared this a couple of times since like you said it hasn't even come out yet but every time i've shared it or read it to, to a group someone has come up like in tears afterwards and yeah. relating to um and what's interesting about it is like a lot of times it's someone like who has a similar background who had the language divide and culturally is very similar. But I also have people coming up who speak perfect English with their, the same language with their yeah. grandparents, but they still had trouble finding that connection and making that connection. And so it's like, I love the fact that something that for me is very specific. Yes. Also resonates with people across experiences. Um, that, that means a lot. Yes. Min, can I jump in here? I was actually going to bring this up next where for me, it's not even just about language barrier, how I can see applying to everybody else who doesn't have the language barrier. It's more so a generational barrier. It's, Mm -hmm. it's people, the younger generation thinking that they're too busy and having no time for elders because, you know, hustle is real, you know, struggle is real. You got to work, blah, 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 blah. You know what I mean? They're always thinking, Mm -hmm. I'll see them during Christmas. I'll see them at New Year's or something like that. We all interpret it with our own barriers, like you just said. And I just had to jump in and add to that and say, I absolutely 200,000% agree with that (laughs) because I was going to bring that up. And I I feel like I probably maybe like either picked it up from you, like brainwaves going, or like you picked it up from me. And then like, it was so perfect that you brought it up right afterwards. So I just moved to New York City. And we haven't had time to set up yet. There's not, the furniture's like not even fully done yet. None of that. But I was thinking like, I'm the type of person who loves coffee table books. Coffee table books are always just so fun to have as conversation starters or just for people to see your personality and like what you love and what makes your day happy, which is why you put it there on the table in the first place. And I'm like, I would love drawn together as one of the books there on the coffee table, just so that whenever friends come over, they can read the story too, whether it's like, I'm getting ready. And then they're like, you know, they're bored. They could go read it. Or they're just like, Hey, what is this beautifully illustrated book? And if they read it, I'm going to wait for them to cry and just have like a great <laughs> conversation. I'm like, you know what? This is my whole objective the whole time is just to make you cry when you come visit me. But just saying your book is so beautiful. Like I don't have kids. I'm a full grown adult. I live with my girlfriend and 
I, I would have it as a coffee table book. Oh, that's, that's fantastic. And coffee table is like the, the hall of fame of book placement. So I really appreciate that. There we go. I'm glad that you recognize that. I'm like, this is like legit. This is like my highlight. You know what I mean? Like we got a lot of books here and I'm, I'm talking about like, I'm highlighting your book in my living room. So I just want to let you know, but man, thank you so much for creating this work. And I'm just so thankful that you did write the story that you shared this it just makes me so happy. And also I'll be honest because I, you know, we talked about how, you know, it crosses all, it transcends all kinds of barriers, not just language, but also another side of me about why I'm so happy about the story too, is that you are speaking to Asian voices. You know what I mean? So I, I thank you too, for creating work like that. And it makes me so proud. Um, it, it's amazing to see it on the, the shelf and like the progress that has been made in children's literature. And there's still a lot of, a lot of ways to go, but, um, but to see people from, so I'm, I'm Vietnamese yes. American, but Dan is Thai American. Yes. Um, and yes. so he, so he illustrated from a, a Thai perspective, which is a, which is actually a lot of people ask me like, so why isn't it Vietnamese? If you're, you're the author and it's a Vietnamese, why isn't it a Vietnamese character? Um, for me, as a as a picture book author, you want the dream is to have the illustrator take your manuscript and like make it their own, right? And like really invest themselves and make it personal. So my hope was that Dan would take the the slim text, um, which which actually fits into two tweets with like room to spare. It's like there's very few words <laughs> in this in the in the text. Um, so for him to take it and embedded with his own experience mm -hmm. um, is I think what makes the book work because yes. it's, it's coming from a very personal place. And even though the cultural details are different, um, it still very much feels like my story as well. It does feel especially to me to put a book out there that's very enmeshed in Asian American experience. Yes. Um, can I also add one more thing? I'm oh, like, I keep adding all these things, but <laughs> I just can't stop. Like, I also, when you said that you're Viet American, which I already knew, and I do know that Dan is also Thai American because he's on the podcast too. Oh, yeah. And then I'm like thinking, oh my God, how funny. I, my, from my mom's side, I'm Malaysian American. Uh, my dad is Taiwanese. So, but just to fill in the, another Southeast <laughs> Asian American, I was like, and I'm here, I'm honored to want to try and tell your story as much as possible the best way that I can through my platform. So I'm like, oh, can I interject myself as another Southeast Asian? <laughs> But yeah, so that's so cool. Oh my gosh, I love that. Thank you. Well, first of all, before I get into the other questions, thank you for getting into the story, the heart of your story and why you told Drawn Together. What was it like working with Dan? Because you were saying like, you know, you had text in there that you, you, that you wrote the content that you wanted to be to the point and brief. Right. So right. what, first of all, let's get into that on your end, how that worked. And then we'll slowly get into how it ended up, um, weaving in and out together with Dan, if that even happened. Cause I know some process or processes are very different where the illustrators and authors don't even talk at all. So we'll get into that later, but for your end, what was that like working and writing with such brevity? It's, I think that's one of the hardest things. For Drawn Together, what was that process like for you? How did you even start there? It's interesting, um, and this isn't to undersell what I do, but when I, when I hear people who write more long form, um, that always to me is the big mystery of like how people get so much content out. Because for me, that, that would be the hard piece. Oh, yeah, um, you're that, so humble. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And, but like that, that, that probably 
just is a part of the reason why I'm drawn to picture books mm-hmm. um, is because I think very visually more and probably more so than um, literally like through words. So I found like, I feel like I found this like cheat code for making books and they're like, <laughs> I have this like very visually rich concept, but I don't have the tools to, to make that happen. So I just have to figure out the code for like, what words do I need to put on the page to give the illustrator oh. enough information to build this world um, oh, wow. and like to, to take it from there. So when I, when I talk to people and they ask me for advice about picture book writing, there's a quote that I, I feel like I'm always repeating myself because I keep coming back to the same quote. Um, but you know, Antoine Saint-Exupéry, the guy who wrote, the author who wrote The Little Prince? Uh, oh my God, yes. I was just about to Google Antoine. And then and then I'm like, when he's The Little Prince, like, oh my God, duh. How do I not know his name? Apologies. I'm so embarrassed, but yes. Well, I, I, I always pause because I always butcher the, the pronunciation. But, um, but he... So he was also a pilot and he wrote this book called Wind, Sand and Stars, which oh, is kind of like a, a diary about the early days of flight. He was like a, a pilot who would deliver mail. Um, and he's talking about the mechanics of building a plane. And he has this quote that I kind of like keep up by my desk for when I'm writing. Um, and it's that perfection is achieved not when there's nothing more to add, but when there's nothing left to take away. And I think for me, it's like, because as an author, there's that pressure of staring at the blank page, right? And thinking like, oh, I need to, you're thinking about the creation aspect of like adding and adding and adding. Um, and I think when you get to the end, the important part isn't like adding that final piece. It's like cutting away and like refining until it's like there's nothing extra there. Um, and I think for like when we're talking about airplane, it's like there shouldn't be anything ex- excessive. So it like weighs the plane down. I think for me, I think of it kind of the same way when I'm working on a manuscript. It should be as streamlined as possible so it doesn't weigh the manuscript down so the illustrator can take it take it from there. And I think it varies by style, too. I tend to like books that are um, slimmer in text, but there are plenty of beautiful picture books that, that say a lot more. Um, but I think it's still – you can say a lot, but still make sure that what's there needs to be there, right? Yes. I think so that's that's the the one quote that I kind of always have in the back of my mind when I'm when I'm reading. And for me, I, I with a picture book, it's like it has to go hand in hand. And, and my personal taste is that a picture book succeeds when the story is told mostly through the illustration, or it's conveyed oh, at least wow. in, in equal parts, right? Yeah. So. I mean, I was talking to someone about it, I forget where, but I was like, you don't go to a restaurant to eat the menu, right? So I think of like the, the picture book text is almost like, what's in what's in a menu? And you're, just, you're describing what's going on, but you're there for the richness and like the flavor and all that is added through like the illustrations, through the food, and that's the experience. So it's like, it all goes hand in hand, but to have the, the illustrator, you need that cook in the kitchen to bring it to life and to, to make it really work. Um, and again... Uh, but, but again, I, 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 I don't want to, to claim false humility and like, like undersell what the work of a picture book author. But, but for me, it's like it does feel like I'm, I'm taking that first lap around the track and then like handing it off and, and letting the, the illustrator work take it the rest of the way. And then also there's the there's so many people that are involved in making a picture book. Like you said, Dan and I actually didn't talk about our personal take on the book until after it was done. What? Um, Are you serious? Yeah. So I, so 
So he, we, we did this interview through Publishers Weekly recently, and he was asking, it's like, I was afraid that I, I was afraid that you were feeling that I hijacked the manuscript by making the characters tie. Um, and I was like, well, I wish we had talked before because I could have told you that that's exactly what I was hoping you'd do. Oh, um, wow. But, but with picture books, a lot of times the, the author works with the editor, then the editor works with the illustrator. Um, and everything kind of goes through through them, which is a actually it feels counterintuitive at first, but I think it works great. Especially if you um, if you have a really good editor like ours, Rosa Moskovich is amazing, and like she manages the whole process um, and and gets the the feedback and, and makes makes sure that everything ties together well. What was her name again? Um, Rotem Moskovich. How do you spell her first name? R O T E M. E N. Okay, gotcha. Rotem. Um, E-M as in mouse. Oh, oh, M as in mouse. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Because, yeah, I was wondering, I'm like thinking, geez, you must, right before you said that, I was like, wow, the editor needs to be really on top of it to be right. able to make everything sync uh, perfectly and seamlessly. Uh, I'm going to also, I need to also say this, jumping back a little bit, you are very humble. <laughs> it's just crazy. And I, you're such a genuine human being. Cassie was right. Like she said, you know, I think you're going to love him. Um, Cassie, for listeners, is Cassie McGinty, um from Disney Publishing. And she's just so she's so sweet. And she is like on your team to push out your book, too, and get the word out. Um, yeah, and she was saying, like, your personality is just so kind and just so warm. And and she knows, like, the kind of people that I would sync up with real quick and the type of people that I like and gravitate towards to bring on the show. And she was right spot on. And my gosh, you are just so dang humble. You sound like you grew up in a family where it's like, keep to your work, stay consistent. Is that kind of like how you were raised as well? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my, my parents and everyone in my family is like super hardworking. And when you come to, to a new country with, with very little, yes. I feel like mm-hmm. the, the baseline is that you're, like you said, you're hustling just to, to get by. That was the environment that we grew up in. Um, and, but it was very like, it was very like hardworking and loving at the same time. And so I think, I think part of the humility might come from seeing how hard my parents and like my uncle, their generation worked. I'm like, I, I don't know what I can brag about. They did all the heavy lifting and I'm, I'm here as a, as a result of, of that. No, no, I, I totally listen. Just jumping in here again, I absolutely agree that, you know, we, we, like you and I have a very similar, uh, upbringing and story too. And we definitely are here with the opportunities and are afforded the opportunities we're given because our parents have done the work before us, but also what you've achieved too. That's all you too, because there could be lazy ass kids out there (laughs) who are like, uh, sorry to talk um, shit about anybody who's a trust fund baby, but we ain't no trust fund babies. You know what I mean? I've definitely met a lot of trust fund babies in LA. I probably shouldn't stereotype, but many that I have met literally just spend the money buying weed and smoking their brains out and not even having a care in the world to move forward. I'm like, dude, your parents worked so freaking hard. Do you not want to like carry on? Like whether it's like, you know, um, through your own work and find your own passions and create your own legacy in that way, or just your own fulfillment. So that's why I admire you. There are people out there who are given everything and yet they don't do anything. Your story specifically where your parents also arrived with very little. Like my dad came with basically nothing, like almost zero dollars in his pocket and freaking grew a company with my mom 
And we grew up with a very comfortable life because of them. And I have to say as well, I need to share this too. And maybe you'll even feel proud because you're a dad. But my little sister just graduated from Yale and she sent me this beautifully written caption for Instagram to have me edit and to see if there's anything else I should add or anything about our parents. But she wrote a whole dedication that this diploma is dedicated to our parents. Do you know that? She wrote that she's been afforded this privilege to make lifelong friends and memories at this school. And she's the first one to graduate from an Ivy League from all of our extended relatives too. All of this, she thanked and gave credit to my parents and continued to tell my dad's story about his life. Growing up sharing one egg amongst five people in a family in Taiwan on a farm because they had nothing. My dad's dad passed away when he was 13. He had to drop out of school and help support the family at 13. My mom, I mean, she grew up a little bit more comfortable, but she was a hustler. Like, you don't uh, want to mess with Mama Chang. Like, she's like scary. So <laughs> she's really cool. So my, my sister continues to tell my mom's story as well. And then the post wraps up again saying, again, this would have never happened. And she feels guilty that my parents even financially supported her through Yale because now she feels bad. My parents have nothing for retirement. But, you know, I feel like. I feel like your parents would have done the same exact thing as well. And that's why I feel so connected with you and feel so comfortable to talk about this with you because we understand the word sacrifice. Mm -hmm. And when I try to talk about that with some friends who are American or Caucasian American, um, they don't understand. They're like, wait, what? I don't get it. Why are you even bothering to want to even like want to try and help pay for your sister's tuition or whatever? Why do you feel bad? That's not your job if you can't afford it. Mm -hmm you don't understand. It's like the work that's done before. And it's like family, like we, we put everything in for each other and we show mm-hmm. up. So, oh man. Oh, I could, I feel like I just talked to you forever about this. And I'm like, I just want to yeah, invite no. you over and hang out with my family. Are you joking? Oh my gosh. Well, well you're on the East coast now. So <laughs> yes. Wait, so where, where do you, okay. Where are you living right now? Um, so I live down in DC. I'm um, actually a small town outside of DC. But it's interesting when you were saying, like, um, when you're talking about your, your sister's caption and talking about your family stories, yeah. I feel like it's this weird tension of first generation, like children in our generation, it seems counterintuitive for us to go into the creative field. Like, I know yeah. you have a background in acting and then yeah. writing, and it seems like it's deviating from the mold of what the expectations are. Yes. But at the same time, I hear you talk about your sister and then your background, it makes total sense to me that we gravitate towards this because like you grew up in these, with these lies and these stories that, and around people and like these stories need to be told. Right. And the canon as it existed before, didn't include those stories because those storytellers weren't there. And so it's like, you see that void and it's like, of course people are going to want to go into these creative fields to get these stories about like our grandparents or our parents and everything that they've done because they are, you're surrounded by these extraordinary people. Yes. It only makes sense that you would want to share that. And honor um, that. Yeah. So even if the more traditional route would have been to go the investment banking. Yes. <laughs> route, right. not, not that that was ever an option for me. I, I don't think I had the, the chops for that. <laughs> Listen, um, me neither. My math yeah. ain't so good and I am not oh, really man. good with that at all. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but, but the more and more I think about it, the more it makes sense that our generation is veering in this direction. That, that makes sense. Yes, it does. And I'm really glad you brought that up. And also to add a little bit of a addition to that, when you were just talking about that, it made me think as well. You know, I understand my parents definitely were shocked with my choice of where I ended up mm-hmm. um, and my choices and the path that I chose. But isn't that also a huge compliment to our parents to say, 
this is the American dream. This is what you fought for your family to have opportunities and look, forget about trying to do what I would have loved to do in their countries. I would have been looked down upon like crazy and there are no opportunities like this at all. I don't maybe now a little bit more, but still nothing compared to America. There's no other country I, I know of that that really embraces self-starters and just dream makers and really pulling something out of thin air like what you do do blank slate completely zilch nothing and you put words down and you create something i don't know anywhere else that embraces that kind of artistry and culture and also allows you to explode in a positive way from that so isn't that also like honoring our parents Mm -hmm. and saying look mom look dad because I know I didn't choose that investment banking route or pharmacy or doctor route or business path or whatever. Isn't this a huge compliment that it's because of you, you've afforded me this opportunity to become an artist in, in my own medium because you afforded me that privilege to, this would not have happened in your countries. You know what I mean? There's no way we would have been making at least a little bit of affordable living. Like if you, you know, find ways in your creative, you can find ways you can, but in their countries, no matter how brilliant, how creative you are, there's just sometimes systems are set up where it just, you, you will reach a a wall that you can't break through here. It's almost limitless. So in a way is honoring them in that way too, where it's like, damn, like if I were the parent, I'd be like, shit, yeah, I have an artist, but dang, it's because of me. I have an artist because they're able to do it because of me. If not, this is okay. Another story is that my aunt, uh, my mom's uh, sister, she is a beautifully talented artist. Like she has a skill of my grandpa's artistry and he's like very talented as is she but growing up my mom at 21 got a home housed her two younger sisters put them through high school and through college and she's only three years older to five years older uh, from her two other sisters um her fourth sister was still in malaysia at the time in schooling but her two other sisters that came to america she housed them at tw- i think at 20 okay she came at 19 she got a home she knew how to protect like you know there's three young girls living in a house what, what was her common sense making sure to rent the top floor to a cop and his family <laughs> you know what i mean cuz you know you know immigrant families the especially the women uh-huh. are all about safety for girls so my mom thought of even thought of that you know what i mean and was able to afford that for her sisters put them through school while she was in college herself and pregnant with me final year of college and started and started a company at the same year of her senior year of college which is still the same company now and she was able to do all of that but here's the thing now going back to that whole artistry and choosing which path her sister my aunt at the time wanted to be an artist like grandpa like their own dad but my mom said, because my mom ended up taking the parent role, the, the mother and father role, because grandpa was living in Malaysia still. And um, unfortunately, their mom had to leave the family for, for reasons. And so my mom had to step in as both father and mother figure. So oh. my mom, I know she's only a sister in American eyes, but in 
in our family's eyes, it's like she became the mom and dad. And she said no to her own sister who's only three years younger. You cannot be an artist because we cannot afford that right now. The aunt is very strong with math. So she's like, what about mm-hmm. accounting? What about this? What about that? We need this to survive or we cannot right. survive. And we have to go back to Malaysia. So my aunt ended up sacrificing her own dreams of becoming an artist to become an accountant. And she was miserable in that job, but she had to do it because at that time she was not afforded the privilege to be an artist or else she would have to go back to her country. Like there's no Mm -hmm. other way to survive. So that's why I say, look at the generational differences. I'm a first generation and I was afforded that privilege. My aunt was not You know, and so I'm afforded happiness by following my own passion. So I think that is an honor that you are doing what you're doing. Like I should save this for our coffee chats. And I know the (laughs) listeners are going to love this. Let me tell you. So I'll tell you right now, this is one of my favorite conversations from over 130 episodes. Oh, wow. Thank you for this opportunity to just talking about our families and our upbringings. And I, uh, it's just, I feel like there's not enough conversations like this. Now I want to veer it back to you. I know that you're, yes, you are your own artist in your own way, writing these stories. But also during the day I was reading your bio that you are a federal early childhood policy expert and you've worked in education at the national, state and local level, both in and out of the classroom. You got your bachelor's in psychology from Dartmouth College and you received your master's in education policy from the Harvard Graduation School of Education. Okay, Mr. Show Off, <laughs> we get it. All right. Uh, we, you got to fulfill your duties that your parents might have expected. I get it. You did it flawlessly and you're able to chase your dreams of being an artist, too. We need to learn more about this. What is what? Where? Where did this come from? <laughs> like how? Um. And you, ha- and, and you have a wife and son and sons. <laughs> and so you're able to, to have that family life too. And, and I'm sure you do it well. So please unpack. Well, I, I hope that that mic of yours doesn't, doesn't pick up blushing because it's, it's pretty ugly. Over here. <laughs> um, you know, I have to tell you, it's turning from silver to pink. So just letting you know. <laughs> um, but yeah, and I, I guess basically when I graduated from college, if you had asked me then what I wanted to do, the dream would have been, I went and I think I, this is what I told people, um, would be to be a small town librarian writing children's books. That was like the, oh the dream. Um, but, and I came down to DC with friends just randomly and they all worked on the Hill, um, working for like senators and Congress, Congress people. And I was waiting tables, um, for Congress people and senators, nice. but, and, and then I started working at a public library. And it's a great place. So I was like checking out books. As, so I was reading the first chapter of like hundreds of books and never finishing anything because another amazing book would, would come across my desk. But an after school program came and they'd be there every day and I'd work with the kids. And then so I started working with them. And then so kind of slowly started going the education route wow. and kind of felt uh, a draw there. Um, so it worked for like some nonprofit organizations in DC, some literacy programs, then went to get my master's and then started working for DC government and then eventually federal government. Um, and it's a, for now, it, it creates a nice balance in that when I was writing my first picture book, part of my job during the day um, was researching like childhood fatalities and early childhood settings, which is like Ooh. the most horrific yeah. stuff that you could be researching. Oh and I, I had, a, had an infant son at the time. So I was like reading these heartbreaking stories about kids. I was like, all I want to do is go home and hug my, hug my wife and son and then like take my mind off things. So, and write, write like something fun. Um, but so I had always wanted to write 
children's books, but I always kind of, I kind of put that on the back burner. And then after grad school, I was in the middle of this like 11 month job search. I was working part-time, but I was just applying for jobs. And I was like, man, writing cover letters is the worst type of writing in the world. And I was like, <laughs> I was like needed to remind myself that writing could be fun. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I'd have these, what I call hardwood floor days, right? Like write a cover letter and just like lay on the floor. Like, I don't deserve to get up. <laughs> I like, no, I don't deserve to even like lay down on a couch. So oh I, this, this hard surface is as, is as good as it gets for me right now. So as I had to like pick myself up from there and be like, okay, my, my wife at the time or my, we were married at the time, but she was working abroad. So I was like on my own. I was like, okay, I'm just going to start a blog about children's books just so that I can like remind myself that writing is fun. Um, and from there, it kind of like I start to learn more about the children's literature community. I so wait, do you to, mind me jumping in and asking and, and diving further? Do you mean like a blog yeah. where you featured other other writers or was it more so like a how to like what kind of blog was it? <laughs> it? It started out as just like me picking a book and writing like some like satirical blurb about it. Like I think I picked um, Hop on Pop by Dr. Susan oh. wrote this like wrote this like two paragraph description about Jungian psychology and Sigmund Freud and how like all this thing. Oh my like, God, that's like, actually really awesome. Wait, <laughs> right? do you still so, have that blog? Um, it, it's still technically there. I don't <laughs> add anything to it anymore, but it's, it's definitely there. Um, so oh, it's basically awesome. me just like riffing, riffing on picture books just to amuse myself. Um, and then it started to pick up some traction. And so then eventually it evolved into me actually like reviewing children's books um, in a more formal capacity, but that, but my goal was always to write a book, right? Um, my goal wasn't to become a, a children's literature reviewer, even though I really appreciate it. And it, it gave me the opportunity to really dive into the field and like figure out what I liked, figure out what was out there, figure out what wasn't out there. And so all that time writing about kids books really set me up well for when I finally did send something out. So my, my wife and I, a while ago, were like, we, we were talking she just goes, you know, you act as if you, or you talk as if you failed at publishing a children's book, um, but you've never sent anything out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you, you, you never Thank God the, for your, idea, your wife, right? well, at the time, fiance or girlfriend, yes. Yeah, I, I, I would definitely, I would, I would still be laid out on the Harvard floor if it wasn't for her. <laughs> <laughs> and my, my problem is, um, it was very clear that there was the, the one thing I wanted to do, it was publish a children's book. I'm not particularly thinking of myself as particularly ambitious or anything like that in my like core, but I was like, the one thing I feel like I left on the table when all was said and done, if I didn't go for it, was publishing a children's book. Oh. But, I, but I would also, at the same time as I would know that at my core, I would also laugh it off and like, oh, it's, a, it's just a silly, silly thing that I want to do. Like, well, who am I to, to want to do that? And she was just like, she looked at me one day, she's like, hey, babe, I love you. <laughs> but um, if if you don't take yourself seriously, who's gonna take me? Yes, take seriously? thank you, and, preach. Yes, right? and I was like, you know, you're right. It's like if I can't even admit to myself that this is what I want, then what? Then that's the failure right there, right? So, so I finally picked a an idea, finished finished the manuscript and sent it out, and then like things start to fall into place really quickly from there. But it was like a ten fifteen year process of just like getting over myself, <laughs> right before. Before I could even get get to that point. 
What does your wife do? She just sounds like an incredible human being and has been a pillar of strength and encouragement. <laughs> Truly, I really do believe this. It's whoever you bring into your inner circle, your home space. It's, I mean, I know I always hear those, my, the friends of mine who are always like, oh my gosh, you know, like, doesn't matter about your partner, like your boyfriend or girlfriend. It's just like, you need to do you. Like, totally get that. Everybody should be independent on their own. Yes. But also there's a realistic thing where if you bring in a certain person into your life, your life could either be projected into something 10 times greater than what it could have been without them or worse. So right. she's definitely a blessing in your life. And what does she do? I'm cause for especially significant others. Um, like I feel like not everybody is lucky enough to have significant others who are supportive of their significant others who want to pursue artistry. Of any right. form. So what yeah. does she do? Because she sounds very understanding and like a freaking angel. Oh, no, she, she, she definitely is. And then you're right to, to your friend's point or to your point to your friend. It's like you have to be able to stand on your convictions and do what you need yes. to do. But, but if you, that becomes infinitely easier or harder if you surround, if yes. you have people who lift you up versus someone who like drags you down, right? Yes, agreed. So, so yeah, so for me, my my wife Amy is like is that that person who like when I'm she's the one who like props me up when I'm not not sure about things and, mm. and everything. And she so she works in where I work in like domestic education policy. She works focusing focusing more internationally on mm. international development and advocacy. And since she works for this organization called the Strong Heart Group, and it's also somewhat tied to storytelling, and that she really? works with these amazing individuals who come from, who um, have these amazing stories, and they want to make a difference on an issue. Like this one woman she's working with is an amazing woman named Sunita, and she her issue is child marriage. So Amy works with her to develop programming and like help her spread her message on the issue that she cares about. So she basically, she, she's found a way to like weaponize her heart. Wow. <laughs> if that makes sense. And like, yes, and like I love the way you said that. And like, and like put that out there in the world and like help people, um, get the messages they need to get out there and like make the difference that they want to have. Um, and I guess, I guess, you could count me as one of her projects unofficially. <laughs> her pro bono project. Exactly. <laughs> your um, wife sounds incredible. And I'm linking yeah, yeah, no, her. I'm going to link that organization to your show notes page too. You said it was called Strong Hearts? Yeah. Strong okay. Heart. Yeah. Strongheart.org? Um, yeah, yeah, I believe so. I'll link that up. You have such a positive influence around you and <laughs> lucky you that your children are lucky enough to have such a strong female role model like that in their lives too. your, oh, your yeah, sons. Definitely. And also kudos to you too, because I don't know, maybe it's because you're, you're the middle child of surrounded by women. You just seem to be a very solid guy. Like you just seem like really <laughs> freaking cool too. So you both are very lucky to have oh, each yeah, other, you know? So thank you for diving into that personal part of your life, but I love hearing that. Okay. So now backtracking. So you still have this day job. Is that correct? Yes. Yep. Mr. Superman here. Um, most, okay. Many of our listeners, uh, have full-time jobs and they're also parents, but a lot of them struggle. They're like struggling mm -hmm. because when they go home, they're exhausted. Some of them still have to go home, you know, prepare food for the kids. Um, right. Doesn't matter, male or female listener. You know, they, they're there for their kids because they want to give them quality time and be a good parent to the best of their abilities. So 
by the time they're done with their day, they're freaking exhausted. It's like words, what words, what are those? You know, like what does telling a story mean? Like aside from reading a children's book to your kid, like what can you share with our community to those? If you can speak directly to those listening in, what can you tell them that can, that you've learned from your own experience? Oh, that's a, and that, First of all, I'm right there with them because <laughs> I, I get I get home from the office probably around like seven thirty, and then oh, I'm with, wow. the, with the with the boys we have dinner and then we do story time and then by the time like we do the dishes and they get lunches ready it's like eleven thirty and then I'm like oh, oh wait now um, so so I definitely feel where where that's coming from for me um, my do I do most of my quote unquote writing like on my walk to and from work like to the metro. And on the train, because it's like with a, as opposed to like a long form novel with a picture book. And like the main part for me is trying to come up with a concept that feels fresh. So it's a lot of just like kind of brainstorming and thinking. And that's how that's my process. Mm -hmm. Um, So I can try to squeeze that in on a on a walk to work or or falling asleep and, and trying to find those little moments to do it. And I, I'm also mindful, like, I, I, the last thing I want to do is sacrifice family time, um, and especially with, with the little, with the boys as they are. Yes. And for me, it's kind of like, if, if life is like, uh, it's like a cluttered home, right? It's yeah. like, you, you got, you got work, you got kids, you got dishes, you got like, everything. It's just, it feels like it's very busy. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's the material and the, the inspiration for a good story is in that clutter somewhere. So mm-hmm. for me, it's kind of like, and this may be like the, the Buddhist upbringing of mine. Of trying, <gasps> I was trying raised to... Buddhist too. Oh my gosh. Oh, yeah? nice, yes, nice, no nice. wonder we click so much. Okay, sorry. Yes, did not mean to interrupt, but oh, I got no, no. so excited. Okay, yes. <laughs> um, no, no, that, that, that's great. So, so this might make sense to you. Yes. It's kind of like, I, I picture my head and my mind as like this like cluttered room um, with all these different things and different priorities and different obligations. And so for me, it's almost like, trying to find those quiet moments and like clearing away all, all those things until I can find those bits of inspiration from, from my day and from my life and all that. So it's like, I kind of think of it as like the day is full, your life is full, but that's a good thing. And it's just trying to figure out how to pull, pull those stories from that. Right. So I don't, I don't, I don't want to set up as like an opposition between the time you have to write and think about being creative and the time you have to spend with your, your family or, or do the job that you need to do. And it's all just one, it's all just one life, right? Yes. And it's trying to figure out how to draw what you need from that life. Um, and it's, like I said, it's, it's, it's a lot different if you have to, to put down, you know, 20,000 words, but to, to the people who you said, some people feel guilty about like writing, when they feel like they should be spending time with their family. Um, one thing that my wife and I talk about a lot is like, we want to model for our boys that it's okay to go for what you want to like pursue your yes. dreams and all that. Right. So yes. it's like for them to see us writing, like putting our time and like blood, sweat and tears into something creative into something like that. I think that is solid parenting and important for, for kids to see. So I don't, I don't think it feels like a strong tension in the moment, but I think if you take a step back, then you realize that you're, that's part of demonstrating and create, showing your children where your priorities are. Right. Um, and so 
so for, for me, a lot of it was like when I had kids, like I used to spend a ton of time on like fantasy football and stuff. And I was like, that's one thing I'm going to, I can cut out. I was like, I don't want to, the time that I do have with my kids, I don't want to be on my phone, like tracking like stats. <laughs> um, so I was like, so it was like, kind of like, I know that I have this limited amount of time. Not, not that I fantasy football was a ton of fun, <laughs> but it's like, I know that I have like a limited bandwidth and a limited amount of time. What are the things that I could say goodbye to? And, Man, you got to tell your kids growing up, you know, kids, I love you so much. I even sacrificed fantasy exactly. football for y'all, all right? Because that is sacrifice, okay? Yeah. That's very, very good fatherly duties right there. So, yeah, it, it was, it's kind of trying to figure out where your priorities actually are and making sure that you stay true to that, even when things feel, feel crazy hectic. As when you got kids or a family in general, life in general, it just, it is always kind of hectic. Oh, that was so good, man. Thank you oh. for that. Also, if you're comfortable only, is there a time that you remember that was your most difficult time that you've ever hit and you felt stuck and it held you back? Like, I know you're talking about like you're laying on those hardwood floor moments. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to, to dive in, in there. Thank um, you. I would say it probably, um, the, the thing that comes to mind is, and this comes through in the book, of those moments when you're sitting there with the, with someone that you that you love and you're not able to talk, right? You're mm-hmm. not able to to connect. Um, for me, those those silences were, like I said, you you can you can get comfortable in those silences, but that comfort to me feels like a failure because oh, wow. it's con- it's conceding a relationship to your insecurities and your, your shortcomings. Right. So, so for me, it's like, like I said, I never doubted the, the love that I had for that my grandparents had for me and what I had for them. And, but the failure to me was not being able to, to convey that, um, Mm. in, in a more nuanced way and in a, in a deeper way. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, as in, at the on, on some level, it's it was as deep as it could go because that's your grandparent. That those yes. are the people that you love. Like there's that that's that's the definition of depth. But at the same time, it's like it's missing some of that nuance and and those moments of struggling to figure out how to how to make that connection would probably be like those are when I think of like that darkness and that feeling you're talking about. Those are the moments that come to mind. Um, and I was talking to someone asked me recently, like, so what did your grandfather think about this book? Um, and so I, so he passed away this past year. And, I'm so sorry. Oh, no, I'm thinking. Um, but I never actually told him what this story was about. <gasps> yet. Oh, no. Oh. Because my... Because I didn't even know how to talk to him about this book. This book is about our relationship and how it was deeper than words, but was held back by and all of that. I was like, I don't know how it felt too, almost like too personal or embarrassing to, to put that out for him. Right. And like right. to do so. So my hope was to, to be able to hand this book to him and have that kind of be the, the bridge to, to kind of like show him that to show him that. Right. Yeah. Um, so, so, but picture books take, take a while to, to be made. So he was, um, 
last year he was admitted to the hospital right around the same time that I started to get some sketches from from Dan. And like some so like a full complement of sketches. So what I did is I printed out the the sketches I had and like cut them up and glued them together into like this makeshift book. Um, and I, I, I sent it up there and then I, I got it there a few days later, but he, he never emerged from, from the, the coma that he's in. So I was able to like read it to him at his bedside. The hope being that, you know, maybe on some deeper subconscious level, he was still there and I could, could experience that. But the, but the fact that I didn't work up the courage and figure out how to tell him directly about the book is going to always be a bit of a, a bit of a failure. Oh that, my like, God, that, man. Um, well, you, you asked the question, so. Oh my God, I'm literally, I can't um, see cause it's like so blurry from tears and I can't breathe right now cause my whole snot is clogging up my nose. <laughs> um, but, but, but at the same time, it's like, so, so there's that side of it, but on the, on the flip side of it. So when he did pass, I was in the middle of working on this book and I and tried to bring this out into the world. So when I was working on his eulogy and like remarks for, to, to make, um, it was actually really comforting because we were, I was talking to, and I don't know what I actually said in the remarks. I have to look it up, but, um, it's kind of like our, this book is about a relationship that exists beyond words, right? That, that almost is so deep that it comes through despite those silences. And so when I was making these, these remarks, um, I was like, and now that there's a comfort there because now that that silence is eternal, it's like we, it's like his presence is not as, doesn't feel that much less because I was comfortable. Like it existed in the, in that silence and it was strong within that silence. Right. Uh So it's like, so his absence is almost fortified by the, by those quiet moments. Um, if that (sighs) that makes sense to you. And yes, it does. And then what's been interesting too, is like in the past year, working on this book has made him feel like super present in my life in a, in a way, because like he's constantly, that's a project we're working on. That's a story that we're, we're putting out there in the world. And, um, when the, when we first got the hardbound copy, um, we, we, my wife and I and our boys sat on the couch and we opened it up and we were reading it. And on the dedication page is a picture of my grandfather and, so in Vietnamese, great grandfather's uncle. That's that's how you say it. And so my my littlest one, who was two and a half, we turn we open the page. And he goes, oh, "It's uncle." Oh and, my god! He's like, and he's smiling at me. And, oh and my my wife god! And I just started to like ball and all that. So like, it, so so it means the world. Even though we started this part of the conversation out talking about like the failures of communication, like what and the the regrets that come with that, it means the world to me that he. And, and this dedicates to all my grandparents, but they have a spot on the shelf now that, that people can, can get a sense of his spirit and his, and their, their influence by, by picking up this book. Um, and if that 
can help people connect to the people in their lives and maybe get them to to not wait mm-hmm. and not not put a put a hold on on letting the people in their lives know how they feel and all that then that that is a that's that I'd say that's a, that's a legacy that I wouldn't mind putting out there for my grandfather. Oh my god, man, you are oh my gosh, I'm like a mess right now. <laughs> oh, I'm like gonna call my grandpa tonight and just ask how he's doing. Oh, and I, I know that I because I've, I've I've listened to a lot of your podcasts. I know that you have a special relationship with your grandfather. So oh, thank so you. No, that means a lot. Thank you for taking the time to even listen to them. Oh my gosh, man, that was so good. Why did you just tear me up? <laughs> oh my gosh, how dare you? Now I'm gonna be talking with a uh, nose full of snot, and so now I sound insane. Um, no, I'm just kidding, but. Oh my God, man. Thank you so much for opening up and sharing that. Ugh. Oh my God. Especially the eulogy part. It's just, ugh. <laughs> that just, oh my God, just hit me right in the heart. Wow. That was really beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. How the hell do I segue from here now and starting <laughs> to talk about like technicality stuff that the <laughs> listeners are asking? Are you kidding me? Jeez. Oh man. All right. So, whew. All right, I've collected myself, and now it's going to be the most awkward segue to the next question. Um, so, That's the only way to get out of this situation. Right? I'm like, this okay, as awkwardly as possible. Um, so I do want to get into listener questions, um, but before I do, uh, do you have any advice of small manageable steps you could kind of share with listeners uh for every week towards accomplishing their writing goals like especially those who are trying to get into children's book publishing is there anything that you can share you know i know about the brevity and like uh the quote that you shared was so powerful and very inspiring and very very uh motivating too so uh other than that is there anything else that you could add to that for our community to take action every week Oh, that's a, let me think. Um, I feel like it becomes a bit trite to tell people just to read everything, but that's kind of like the, a good starting point. But yeah. start to picture books to read as much as you can. But I would take it one step further in that um, what I like to do, like I said, I think very visually is there are templates you can find on there and I can share with you. There's a illustrate author illustrator named Debbie Ripath Ohi. Um, and she has some resources there about like, picture book templates, right? So what I like to do is to take a book that I love and map it out of like title, like cover and papers, title page, and like map out every page of the book into this template. So it's almost like doing an autopsy of a book. And that really gives you a good sense of like how page turns work, how to paste things in a 32 page picture book. How many pages do you actually work with versus what's in the what's a copyright page, right? So, because I think a lot of people want to write picture books or want to get into children's literature, and to do that, you really need to know the the territory and like know the mechanics of it, right? There's another really good book called Oh, my my mind's blanking, but it it, it breaks down the different components of the book, and I think for me, there's a lot of mystery that goes into it, but it's about like what how to write a picture book. And what was enlightening for me was to realize like, it's all right. The answer is all right there. And 
and in, in the book that you're holding, right? So um, breaking it down into that that way and mapping it out will really give prospective authors a sense of what they need to do, right? And I think doing that with the books that are your favorites will give you a sense of how to like deconstructing a book like that almost physically is a good way to figure out when you're constructing your book, what are the things that are important to you? Like what, where, where is it important to have like a two page spread versus a one page spread? Where do you want to have the, where do you want to lead the text into a page turn? Cause with a picture book, the page turn is, is the dynamic element of it. It's like you're sitting there with a kid or you're like, you want every page turn to be, have meaning and have like some kind of reveal, have, have significance. And my, my pet peeve, cause I also review picture books is when you can tell that the text and the illustrations don't really work together or they're not taken into consideration. Right. So it's like, it looks like there's a beautiful picture and there's text plopped on top of it and it could be beautiful text, but if they don't work together and the page turns don't come at the right times, then it's not, the experience that is not taking full advantage of the medium. Right. And the picture book is such a beautiful art form. It's like, um, I've described it as like the most accessible kind of art you can have out there because it's, it can access all ages. It can, you can read it. You can be read too. You can, it's like, it's beautiful visual art. It's beautiful text. It has all the different components. It's a physical entity that you can hold in your hands. Um, there's, there's so many things you can do with it. Um, that if you're not taking advantage of and then you're, you're missing an opportunity. And I think it's having a true deep understanding of what a picture book is and what makes up a picture book is going to make your manuscript that much stronger when you get around to it. Oh, that was so good. Min, let me ask you a question. You know that you mentioned the book that you couldn't remember the title of. If I asked you to email me the title, would you be able to if you I'm not sure if you have it in your home or is that something that you won't remember at all? I if you give me one second. Okay, I I was going to say no words. If you wanted to email it to me, I could add that in your show notes page. Yeah, I can I can email it to you. Perfect. Um, Thank you. I really appreciate that because I, I normally don't have that many uh, authors for picture books on the show, and everything that you've shared just now was so oh, it's gold mine right there. So, well, actually, actually, I, I, I just pulled it up. Oh, perfect. So, Thank you. It's called Reading Picture Books with Children, or yeah, Reading Picture Books with Children, and it's by an author named Megan Dowd Lambert, um, and she has what's called a, a whole whole book approach. So like looking at a picture book from all different angles, all components. So she'll take you from like the cover to the, to the end papers and like break down every single piece <gasps> of it, which is going to be really helpful for, for people. It's almost like an anatomy book. For, yes. It's for, like, for like that, books. almost like that John Truby book, right? Exactly. Um, oh my God. Yes. Thank you so much for that. We will have that noted down. Um, that is awesome. Okay. That's very helpful. And seriously, so much gratitude to you for sharing that. Um, and now if you don't mind, I will segue into the listener questions. So let me just make sure, um, I'm gonna go through and all right. So the first one we have from Benny Long, he asks as a first generation American, do you often worry about passing down your Vietnamese heritage to your children? How would you recommend connecting different generations within a family? Cultural differences can make this a huge challenge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and he's he's going straight to to the monkey on my back. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I think 
I, I it's something I think about all the time. Um, mm-hmm. And something that at times I feel like when you talk about like things that I feel like I'm falling short on, it's um it's like language and then things like that. But I would say that developing those relationships within your family, I mean that that's how culture is going to be transmuted, right? Or tran- transferred. So it's like relationships with your grandparents, relationships with your your parents and your uncles and aunts. And it's for me it's the it's the stories and the lives that we've lived. It's the food that we eat. It's like all those things. And I would be and maybe this is just so that I don't crumble under my, the own way of my expectations. Mm. <laughs> but it's like we we experience the culture we do and the way we do based on a series of decisions that were beyond our control, right? So I've, like, I've, I've held a tremendous amount of guilt about like um, how I have or have not held on to my culture um, or the, the pieces that, that, I, that I've kind of lost grasp on versus the pieces I, I hold on to. Um, but you realize like those come from growing up in an environment and the reason why we're here is based on a choice made by our parents, which is based on choices made by their parents. And it's mm-hmm. like, it's, it, it kind of like takes a little bit of the pressure off where like our experience is our experience. And I've kind of gotten to the point um, at 38 years old of finally like stopping apologizing for growing up with the culture that I did and the experience that I did. And like that there is a validity to, there's no one Asian American experience. There's no one Vietnamese American experience. There's a, there's a spectrum there. And it's like, I've learned to kind of like stop apologizing for where I landed on that spectrum. Right. And just like appreciating it for, for what it is. And, and kind of like, I guess it would go back to all that time it took to get over myself to get my, my first picture book manuscript out there. It's like figuring out how to get over your own insecurities and your own roadblocks to that are holding you back from experiencing the culture however you can right because for like for example for me the fact that my language skills are so atrophied i'm like it's that makes it that much harder for me to learn because i set up this roadblock of like oh my our pronunciation is terrible when i try it's i'm a failure and <laughs> so it's like it, it has this like cascading effect of like you'll never get into the culture if you set up those roadblocks yes. first, right? So I think I think we all come from a place of appreciating the culture and appreciating what we what we have. And I think um, using what you have as a starting point as opposed to what you don't have as a starting point would be the the key for me. So so realizing that we are coming, even if you think that the connections are frayed or the they're not as strong as you wish they would be. You're still coming from a place of where you have that culture and and focusing on that um, would probably be the best way. I'm mostly just speaking for for myself. Um, And I feel like I'm, I'm self, I'm in self therapy, right? (laughs) I love this. But it's like, if, if you can focus on what you, where you, where you are coming from instead of where feel, it'll make you feel a little bit less lost. And I think that's going to make the cultural conversation a little bit easier. Um, oh, 
Men, you are just full of heart and soul and love and inspiration. Let me just tell you. I you, thought you were about to say you're full of higher. So yeah. <laughs> let me just tell you, this is such a really, oh my God, I don't even know words to describe it. This is such a soul shaking episode. I mean, it's, it's really moved me because it's been a lot about us, who we are, our family, because family really is so much of our lives overall. You know, it's tied around family, whether it's from our our loved ones before, our relatives before, or the ones we've created for future generations. It, it's just who we are. It ties into us as human beings. So thank you for deep diving. And, and I appreciate that self-therapy. That was awesome. So that was pretty cool. I feel like pretty uh, slick over here. I'm like, yes, let me brush that dust off my shoulder right now. Um, thank you for that. And if it's okay, can I get into the next question? Oh, yeah, sure. Okay. So the second one is from Ginger Muir. What was it like to step back and trust Dan to shape so much of this intimate personal work? What did the illustration notes look like? Was it tempting to overdirect in the notes? Okay. So I know we really got into this earlier, but if there's a certain way that Ginger phrased her questions that might bring out something else from you, please feel free to jump in. Yeah, yeah no, I think they're, um, for me, it wasn't so much a matter of can I trust Dan to to do this? Mm. Because when I came up with the story, it was more like, what do I want to see Dan illustrate? Right. Cause it was such an amazing opportunity to be able to work with, um, with him. And it's funny. It's actually funny. So usually you come up with a manuscript and then the editor finds the, the illustrator, um, that way. That's, that's kind of like the, the normal flow right. of things this was backwards in that my editor had worked with Dan in the past and she had taken him out to celebrate when he won the Caldecott. Oh, um, and, I, and I guess, yeah. yeah. And I guess in conversation I came up and she thought that we would make a good team. And he said, yeah, that sounds great. Have him send me some ideas. <sighs> so I got, so I got an email from my agent that night saying, Min, we have the opportunity to work with, with Dan Santat. You need to send us two to three ideas within a couple of days because <gasps> he's going to he, like the idea is like, he's about to go on this like whirlwind, like, um, tour to celebrate his, his award is like, if we don't hook him now, we might miss this opportunity. Get the hell out. So you only had two to three days. Yeah. So I was, I was home. I was freshly home with my second son. So a newborn <gasps> and I was like up at 3am bouncing oh. around with, with trying to get my son to go to sleep and trying curiously trying to figure out what story I could send to uh, a guy who just won the biggest award in chose literature. I was like, and so, so for me, it was less like, can I trust him to do this? And more like, what could I send that would be worthy of, of his, of, of his talent and of, of his, of his ability. Um, so luckily I sent this and it, it resonated with him. And then from that point, it was more of trying to think, trying to put something down that, like I said, created the space for him to do what I know he, he could do because he has this amazing ability to have these dynamic illustrations. But then with a, with a story like Beagle, there's like so much heart there. Right. Yeah. So I was like, what, what could I put on the page that would tap into those those things that make him so special as an illustrator. 
and as a storyteller. And and it, it, I wish you could hear his side of things because he was saying that this the the freedom of having a a manuscript that was very light takes a very light touch um, apparently tapped into something on his end that that allowed him to to reach down to the level that that produced this book. Um, but as far as illustration notes. Um, I try to take a very light touch with them. And like, for example, there's a, there's a spread where they say the, where the grandfather, father and grandson build a world that even words can't describe. Right. Um, so on that page, I gave almost no notes. There's just like the text says the, the grandfather and grandson build a world that words can't describe. And it's basically like, go for it. <laughs> like wow. you, you, you harness the, the full potential of like your creative abilities and you, you, um, I wanted him to be able to, to take the story where it needed to go. Right. But then there are, there are elements in the story that are critical to the story arc. So at the end, um, spoiler alert, if you haven't read this story yet, <laughs> but, um, there's, there's a dragon that reappears and they, and that's kind of representative of the, the tension between their inability to speak and like that, all that. And then they, transform that dragon into a bridge, which is how they like symbolic of their reconnection. And so that for me was part of the illustration notes because that's integral to the themes of the story and like the, the story itself. Um, as far as like how Dan wanted to convey the, the characters and like the colors and all of that, I wanted him to have the, the freedom to figure that out. And what's amazing about it is I was talking to, to someone he took it to a level that I couldn't have possibly imagined. Um, but at the same time, it's exactly the book that I had in mind. Right. So he, it's, and that's, that's the dream. That's, that's the magic of this whole process. Um, so, so the trust is, I feel like more, less putting my trust in him and more putting the trust in myself to let go of, of the story um, if that makes sense. Definitely makes sense. I'm so glad Ginger asked that question. Um, that was definitely pulled out so many more details about that process of working with him and how that story came to be. So shout out to Ginger for that, for those, uh, several questions actually in a row. And that makes so much sense. Oh, that was so good, man. Thank you for those details. (laughs) You are such a storyteller, even in the way that you share memories and how things came to be and how they fell into place and came to fruition. Oh my gosh. You were just through and through a born storyteller. Um, okay. That's that's funny you say, because I think even though I'm a technically an author and a writer, I don't I don't see myself as a storyteller. Are that. you crazy, man? You are uh, enough of this humility, this humbleness. Like you are just, you tell stories so beautifully, even in just via voice. Like I'm just talking to you through a Skype phone call and I'm getting lost in it and I'm getting worked up and crying and like smiling and <laughs> hello, that's called storytelling and you are a storyteller. So you better own it or I'm going to make you have one of those hard floor days. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to jump into the third question. So Tracy Badwa asks, 
Uh, seconding Ginger's questions, what do the illustration notes look like? Question above. I'd love to see a sample of how this played out in the actual picture book manuscript text. If he can read it aloud for us or share a tiny snippet of it in this group or on the show notes page. So just from that, like just the way she phrased that question, is there anything off the top of your head or like that you feel comfortable sharing like the way she asked? Yeah, no, no, I'm, I'm happy to. I'm actually just grabbing a copy of the book now so I can yes. look and see, see Go a good Min. example. Thank um, you, Min. So, so let's see here. I'm um, trying to think of a good example. So at the beginning of the story, what's interesting is that when I thought of, when I first saw the story, it was completely wordless. Because um, in my head, it's like, oh, it's a story about people who don't know how to speak to each other, so there aren't going to be any words. Um, but then we my editor and I, we kind of talked it through and realized that it needed to have some kind of narration in there. But if you look at the book, other than a few lines of dialogue between the, the grandfather and grandson, there's no narration until the grandfather pulls out his brush, right? And that's when the narration kicks in. So the intent there was to kind of build up that awkward silence, right? And like make that that distance feel tangible and like and then because the story up to that point is reliant completely on facial expressions the body positions mm. um, someone pointed out like there's a this scene where the the grandfather gives the boy dinner and like you can see like, the the boy's hands are like kind of like clenched in a way that is very subtle detailed but then kind of like draws out that tension um so that was a very intentional choice of like holding the narration up until they make a connection and mm. to, to make that the experience of reading it feel like, like you almost feel the fact that there are words missing there, yes. right? Mm-hmm. Which is, which is what the experience for these two characters is. There's, mm. there's some, there's, there's this, there's this heavy silence. Um, and we wanted that to come, come through in the book. Um, and then I'd say, so the, the critical page would be when the, the boy finally draws a picture of himself. Um, so in the notes, it would be the boy goes and gets his, his book bag and pulls out paper and pen and draws a picture of himself as a, as a wizard, right? And then the grandfather runs off, to, is excited, runs off to his room and grabs his, comes back with his own sketch pad and, and ink and brush. And then he paints a picture of himself as a hero from his childhood. So that was my, that was like kind of the notes and what was in the text. I didn't tell Dan what kind of hero, what kind of imagery to use. Um, cause I wanted him to figure out based on the characters that he's creating, who is the, who is the, who does the grandfather see himself as when he's has that fantasy life. And for me, that was really important because part of the, the story is it's easy to put the people in your life into these like categories of like, Oh, this is, this is my grandfather. Right. And mm-hmm. uh, look deeper. And a lot of times it's like, Oh, you realize, Oh, wait a minute. He has this like amazing imaginative life. He, he was a kid once he had these heroes that he used to read about. And like, and I think that's another layer of connection. I'm like, Oh, that, that person sitting across from me, has the interior life that I have as well. And like trying to like, I'm trying to reveal that. So when this page turned where it says, 
right when I gave up on talking, my grandfather surprised me by revealing a world beyond words. And in a flash, then there's a page turn. Then we see each other for the first time. And you see the boy is his character and the grandfather is his character. And that's kind of like they see each other for the first time because they're seeing their internal lives. They're seeing, mm. they're seeing each other beyond the surface for the first time. Right. And so for me, that page turn was important that, that you, you're peel, when you turn the page, you're almost like peeling back that layer and you see the, the characters, um, as they see themselves. And then you're, so you're also seeing them for the first time when you turn the page. So I hope that that kind of answers that. That's like a, a glimpse into like part of the, the construction of the book and like how, how the page term plays into the meaning of the book and, and all of that. Oh, Min, you're awesome. You know that? <laughs> Hopefully I'm, I, I'm not sure that that's great radio since I'm, I'm looking at the book, but no one else is. <laughs> so so I, basically what I'm saying is you should go out and get the book and listen to this podcast. Yes, again of course. So that you can, you can, and you, you know, can when you were, you were talking about those little details about like the hand clenched, I'm going to go through again and notice those details. Cause for me, I was lost in the story and like the general big picture. And then now when you mention like that little snippet of the detail where the hands are clenched, I was like, Oh my gosh, like I need to go back. And I love this because it's like almost like little gifts and, and like little scavenger hunts. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going back through it and just to see what else I can catch like the, for yeah. the, the third, fourth time around. So Thank you so much, Min. Um, you have been incredible. Uh, let's wrap this up by you sharing where we can find you online to say hi. And um, also, your uh, again, it's released Thursday. So by the time this is out, your book will have just come out on Tuesday. So congratulations to you. I'm so happy for oh, you. you. Very oh, many congratulations you. You. to you and your grandpa. Um, thank you for sharing your story. And um, yeah, let us know where we can find you on social media yeah no thanks thanks so much for having me i um i haven't had a good cry in a while so i appreciate oh the invitation oh my god man <laughs> um, stop you're gonna make me cry again you better not dare do this oh my gosh oh. i need to squeeze I need to squeeze one more tear out before i say <laughs> bye um but yeah yeah no thanks i, I really appreciate getting to, to talk about the book um and like i said so many people what put their blood, sweat, and tears into this. So it'll be exciting for it to be out in the world. Oh, um, yes. You can, the, the way I interact mostly on social media is through Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, so bottom shelf books, but it's BKS. Um, and that, that's probably the best way to reach me. You can find me on my the website at minlaybooks.com. Um, and and I'm, I'm around. So amazing. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, so, so I look forward to connecting and, um, And I look forward to grabbing coffee next time you're in town. And that wraps up our episode with Min Lei. Min, oh my gosh, you already know this, but I'm going to say it again for the 100th time. I absolutely loved our conversation. I have not cried like that in a while. And I am so grateful to you for being so open and generous with your stories. And a huge congratulations again on the release of Drawn Together and a very happy book birthday. Storytellers, thank you so much for hanging out and listening in as always. Please be sure to stop by Min's show notes page because we included our favorite quotes and a list of all the helpful books and resources that he mentioned throughout our conversation and an exclusive writing prompt he created just for our community. Head over to 88cupsofteacom slash podcast slash Min dash lay.
At the top of the show, I was so excited to announce that FabFitFun sponsored today's episode. I just received their summer box, and as soon as I saw this beautifully designed box with pops of yellow, lilac, and orange, I had the biggest smile on my face. It's filled with awesome products like this crazy new device that cleans your face while it measures your skin hydration level. Now, my absolute favorite item is this spray that protects your hair from up to 450 degrees of heat. Most of y'all know that I bleached the hell out of my hair when I tried turning it platinum silver and now my hair is so damaged. So I've been using this spray every single time before I blow dry my hair. One extra special touch that I love is FabFitFun's very own newsletter. There is a section in there that features favorite summer memories and it made me so nostalgic about my own travels and annual road trips and camping trips. FabFitFun's seasonal subscription box is normally $49.99, but our community of storytellers, and that's you, gets to save $10 off of your first box by using the code T at checkout over at FabFitFun.com. When you treat yourself to a box by using the code T, you're also showing your support for 88 cups of tea. Don't forget to check out FabFitFun.com for more details. And have a wonderful and super productive rest of your week, and I'll catch you next Thursday. Hey guys, it's me again. Thanks so much for listening in on 88 Cups of Tea. Go create something magical today and I'll catch you in the next episode. Bye.